So last week we did kind of biology uh, part one. This is biology part two. And we kind of ended up on the fact, now kind of start out right that one of the slides is, you know, biology is taught as a fact. Okay, and then we kind of went through some things as uh, the Cambrian explosions and some other ideas that really would cause you to think, is that really a fact? Or we, what are we calling a fact? What are we defining as a fact? And so one of the things we ended up on was this idea was the evidence against evolution is credible and significant, so why do the scientists support it? And that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight is, is why do we support something where the evidence is really working against that idea of Darwinian evolution or uh, Neo-Darwinianism, there's different titles and different names as they kind of come along. So that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight. And again, I said you have to come back next week. And here you are. And so we got there. And so, so why, under this realm, in this realm of secularism, so why do these scientists, why is it that they're supporting this idea when it doesn't seem to be a fact? Right? And so I'm, we're just going to run through a series of quotes. And it says... And this was from uh, Rate Taylor, a British author, broadcaster. He says, because they fear, we shall revert to believing in the divine plan. Remember when we talked about, when, when we talk about life, the origins of life, there's, there's only two options. That, that's all that exists. There's not a plan C. It's either Darwinian evolution or supernatural creation. That's all we've got. So there is no other option that we can come up with. That's, that's all that there is. And so if it's not Darwinian evolution, then it's supernatural creation. That's it. And so this is what this Taylor is referring to, because if it's not that, we fear the revert to the divine plan or the supernatural creation. Uh, DMS Watson, he's a chair of evolution at the University of London. He says, not because it can be proved logically coherent evidence by logically coherent evidence. Again, he's talking about evolution. Not that it can be proved by logically coherent evidence to be true, but because the only alternative, special creation, is clearly incredible. Man, look at that quote. It's not that we can prove it true. It's because if we admit that, if we live according to that, then that means we're going to have to align ourselves with supernatural creation. And if we align ourselves and we fall under supernatural creation, we fall under that authority. We are no longer the masters of our ship. We don't get to call the shots. We don't get to figure out what reality is or call, determine what our reality is. We owe it all to that supernatural being that created all things if we revert to that. Uh, and again, this is Sir Arthur Keith. He's, you can see, anthropologist and head of the anatomy department at London Hospital. He says, evolution is unproved and improvable. We'll just stop right there. These are not your right-wing, fanatical, crazy Christians that are saying this. These are unbelievers. These are scientists that are saying this. And this is not just, oh, man, I had to scour the Internet and books and everything else to find these. Man, these quotes are all over the place. 
They're all over the place. He says, evolution is unproved and improvable. We believe it because the only alternative is special creation, which is unthinkable. And so here's the idea. They're coming in with this presupposed idea, a worldview, right? They're coming in with this presupposition that says there is no God. Okay? That's a belief system. That's not something that can be tested for. And because it can't be tested, they choose, we don't believe. This is their worldview that's driving their belief system. And again, that's normal and that's natural. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody's worldview or their belief system is driven by their worldviews. As Christians, hopefully our worldview is driven or our belief system is driven by our worldview, a biblical worldview. And that determines a lot of things, or it should at least determine a lot of things in our life. And so that's what's taking place here. It's not that science is just so overwhelming that, man, evolution is a fact, right? It's just that I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be that way. So I must believe this. That's not very scientific, right? I often bring up the idea of blind faith. That's blind faith. I know what the evidence says. I know that this is unproved and improvable, yet I choose to believe it. That's not even blind faith. That's just foolishness. And I don't say that in a derogatory way or to be demeaning or anything. That's to sit there and say, the evidence says otherwise, but I don't want to believe the evidence. And this is George Wald, Dr. George Wald, uh, emeritus professor of biology, Harvard University. I do not want to believe in God, Wald admitted to the Scientific uh, American magazine. Therefore, I choose to believe in that which I know is scientifically impossible. Spontaneous generation arising to evolution. Man, this is a brilliant guy. I mean, just by academic terms, this guy's off the charts. Smart. I don't want there to be a God, so I choose to believe that which I know is false. I choose to believe that which I know is false. That should grieve our hearts. That should grieve our hearts. Because it's not, there's a lot of George Walds in the world. There's a lot of George Walds in the world. They're in our neighborhood, they work with us. That should grieve us. Sir Julian Huxley, he says, I suppose the reason we leaped at the origin of species was because the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores. Our sexual proclivities, our sexual desires. All right, and it goes back to that idea. If I believe in a supernatural creator, I'm under that creator's authority. I'm under that authority. If I submit to that authority, this deviant lifestyle that I'm living, I can live no longer. Or if I do, I'm, do, I'm doing so in the face of condemnation, in the face of judgment. And, and that plays out today in so many other people, in transgenderism, in the LGBTQ community, in those that are in just... Um, 
adulterers, those, I mean, whatever you want to call it and whatever else is going on, that's the issue. We don't want there to be a supernatural creator because then it affects on how I'm going to live my life. It interferes with what I want. And the self becomes the authority figure. Not the supernatural creator, but the self. Right? The autonomous self, the expressive individual. This is the reason why, in spite of the evidence. Uh, Francis Crick, he said in relation to the origins of life, he says, an honest man armed with the knowledge available to us now could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle. So many are the conditions which would have had to been satisfied to get it going. He said, man, there are so many things that have to fall into place for this to actually take place. It's, it's almost a miracle. Now, you would think this guy was close. You would think Francis Crick was close to saying, man, he's that close to Jesus. He was so far away from Jesus, right? Sir Francis Crick, he was the guy that developed, he knew the origins of life, this idea of the primordial ooze that comes together and then, you know, lightning and all this other stuff. And we get amino acid and from that we get proteins and from that we get some form of life. He knew that was impossible, so he came up with a better idea, right? He came up with an idea called panspermia. That's a real word, right? He comes up with this idea called panspermia, which what that is, is like, I know life couldn't be created here on earth. So there was some form of life, microscopic life from outer space, hitched a ride on a meteorite. It came through our atmosphere, crashed to the earth, and then that's how this microscopic life got started on the earth, panspermia. So he just went from one crazy idea to another. Instead of saying, well, this miracle thing's got legs. He just goes to a crazier idea. And all he's done is he's pushed the idea out of the realm of science. You can't test for that. No more than you can test for the origins of life through natural processes. But we know we can't test for it here. But once we kick it to outer space, we can't touch it. We can't touch it. They can't touch it. So it's a convenient one, but it's just as crazy as the origins of life through a primordial loose. So scientific descent, a thousand and climbing. There's this whole thing, and this was actually before the pandemic. It says a thousand scientists... And there's more signed on to this statement. It says, we're skeptical of claims for the ability of random mutation and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. Careful examination of the evidence for Darwinian theory should be encouraged. Careful examination of Darwinian evolution should be encouraged. Has anybody seen, it's, uh, it's been a documentary, it's been out for it's Ben Stein, and it's called Expelled. Has anybody seen that? An amazing documentary. I'd encourage you, if you've not seen it, go, go see this. And he's going through, and he is talking with all of the intellectual elite in our academies and in our colleges, and it's like, and he's presenting all this evidence. All the stuff that I'm showing you, he's presenting to them, and he says, why do you teach this as a fact? 
when not only is it not a fact, it's not even a good hypothesis. And so he's asking this question of all of these professors. And they're, they're coming up with, again, panspermia and these other ideas, but he keeps pushing them. And it finally comes down to this. I'll lose my job. I'm not tenured. I'll lose my position. They're driving the very idea, knowing that it's, it's not a valid idea. I'll lose my job. I'll lose my job. And it's easy for me to turn around and say, oh, what, you don't care about truth enough? But the reality is, is how often as Christians do we do the same thing? We just stay silent because I'll lose my job. So we don't want to be quick to judge because the reality of that, it could, it, it could come back to us. The question that we have to ask is, is what's the truth worth? What's the truth worth? Anyway, so you've got these guys, they're signing on to this. They're coming out and they're saying it needs to be examined. They're not necessarily saying it's false. They're just saying we need to examine it because this is one of these things where you get the quote, the science is settled. You can't even question it. It's like climate change. It's not even an idea that you can question because the science has been settled. Have you ever heard that? Only about a thousand times over the last three years. The science is settled. So now, let's, that was secularism. Let's look at Marxism and their idea of biology. Well, everything we just covered, ditto. Except one thing, right? They believe in evolution. It rejects natural selection's gradual change from species to species because it does not agree with their dialectical materialism. Remember, when we talked about dialectical materialism, how Marxism advances to this utopian environment is, is that you have, you have this one idea, this one thesis here, and you got a thesis on this other hand, and they clash together. Or an antithesis, an antithesis. They clash together, and then you get this, it, comes, it elevates up or evolves up to a higher form. And then you get another thesis and another antithesis, and you keep having these clashes of ideas, and you keep evolving up to, eventually you'll get to this Marxist utopian. That's dialectical materialism. They see it as, as uh, society, economics, it's always progressing forward, but the forward is always to Marxist utopianism, always towards that. And so... Marx didn't like this idea of this natural selections, gradual change, because it took too long. It took too long for that to happen. So he jumped on the idea of punctuated equilibrium. I, I think we talked about this uh, last week, but it's punctuated equi equilibrium says change happens quickly, and then it's static for long periods of time. That fits more in line with the dialectical materialism. Now, keep in mind, right, because there's no transitional life forms, right, when we were looking at the fossil record, there's no transitional life forms. The Cambrian explosion, what it reveals is you got all these life forms came into being in their just in their current state all at the same time. And I've got the notes from last week. If anybody wasn't here and you want to get those, I've got those up here also. 
And so he's like, yeah, that's how it happens. We just have these changes real quick. And that just gives you that clash of the thesis and the antithesis. And then you get this evolutionary process that takes place. That's punctuated equilibrium. So postmodernism and evolution. Right? Postmodernism. Evolution is just another grand story. To oppress the people. Because postmodernism rejects any meta narrative, any grand story that claims to be that it, we've got all the answers. We can explain all of reality through this story. And again, every worldview claims that secularism, Marxism, uh, new spirituality, biblical Christianity, that worldview, they all claim to be a meta narrative. Well, postmodernists reject all of that, and they would reject this idea of evolution. Right? And there was one of the videos we watched, I can't remember what it was, and they were talking to the college students. And they were asking the college students the, the question, well, what did he think about this idea of evolution? He says, man, I don't even think about that. I'm just trying to have a good time today. I don't even think about it. This several years ago, I had a college uh, pastor tell me this. He said, you know, the, the challenge going on college campuses isn't necessarily getting on the campus and sharing the gospel. It's just getting people to even think about God. It's not whether God exists or doesn't exist. The thought of God never even comes into most students' mind. Postmodern. I don't even think about that. I think about today. I think about myself. How much fun can I have today? They don't even think about those deeper questions of life. So it's no truer than any other meta narrative, therefore, it's ignored by most postmodernists. It's not even a discussion point. So, new spirituality and evolution, right? It believes in biological evolution, but they'd rather focus on what they call spiritual evolution. Right? For them, the body's bad or certainly it's a hindrance, or the self is bad, and you're trying to eliminate yourself of that. So your goal is, in evolution, is that this collective consciousness. That's the goal in new spirituality, is that you get in touch with your godness, and you'll be a whole lot better person, and the world, once we, if we could collectively do that, man, the world would be great, because we are all our gods. And so... Whether that's pantheism, polytheism, right? Whether you're talking about the Egyptian gods or the Greek mythological gods, we're all gods. If we would just get in touch with our God consciousness, the world would be a whole lot better. I'm doing pretty good. I don't know about you guys, right? No. Collective consciousness means the individual will ultimately disappear as a separate person and eventually blend into the energy of the universe. You've got to tell me you don't, you're going to get that as a tattoo. That's, I'm just going to disappear into the collective energy of the universe. It's just like a drop of water in the ocean. You can't tell it from the rest of the ocean. So Islam and evolution, right? It rejects biological evolution, so they would kind of align with Biblical Christianity, at least it rejects, again, remember, macroevolution, 
We talked about last week, do you believe in evolution? Be careful how you answer it, right? There's microevolution. We know that scientifically, we know that that happens. We know biblically that that happens. Macroevolution, we've never seen it. Changing from one species to another, we've never seen it. We've never been able to test for it, and we're never going to be able to do those things. We can test for it, but it'll always come back negative. So Muslims do divide over the idea of young earth creationism or YEC and old earth creationism. And again, that's even within their realm. Some believe in a young earth, some would believe in an old earth in the Islamic faith. So Christianity and evolution. Christianity believes in supernatural creation or special creation. God created all things. That's time, space, and matter came from nothing. Time, space, and matter. I was just talking with some students this morning. Stephen Hawking, uh, he, you know, he was making the case before he passed away. He actually wrote a book on it in the God Hypothesis. And he was sitting there saying that the laws of nature, specifically the, laws of the law of gravity, is what brought time, space, and matter into existence. And that was the claim that Stephen Hawking was making. And so we were just walking through this idea. So... A law of nature, we know, doesn't create anything, but it describes how things work. That's what laws of nature do. They describe how things work. Gravity, the law of gravity, it tells us if I drop something, gravity is going to have that effect and it's going to pull it down. That's a law of nature. And so in order for a law of nature, and we'll just keep it to the law of gravity, in order for it to have its effect, there must be something for it to have an effect on. I don't know if I said that well or not. Does it? Questions? So there has to be matter before the law of gravity can even exist. But Stephen Hawking is sitting there saying, no, that's what brought time, space, and matter into existence. Literally, the cart before the horse. We can't have the law of gravity until we have matter. Something brought the universe into existence. It either brought itself into existence or some being brought it into existence. But we know, scientifically we know, nothing brings us nothing. You have to have something to bring something else into existence. Okay? So when life began, right, with Christianity, there's three differing views on this. The first one would be young earth or young age creationism, this yek, and they believe God created each living organism separately in much its present form as recently as 6,000 years ago. In other words, a literal 24-hour days that we see in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And so... If we think back to that one chart that I showed last week where it showed, well, if Darwinian evolution was true, you would just start out with one thin line, and then it just branches off as you see this evolutionary process take its effect, and then eventually you just get many more little lines that parallel out or that shoot out from that, but that's not what the fossil record shows, right? The fossil record shows all of these fossils coming into effect at the same time. 
And then there was a study that we showed, and it's like 90% of the species on the earth today came into existence at the same time. Right? That supports the biblical model of what we have with that. This young earth, creationism. Then there's progressive creationism. God created the cosmos and all life in progressive steps over a long period of time. Right? With the capacity to change over time, though with limits. Uh, humans were created separately by God at a much later time. And so you've just got these epics of time where God creates the stars and the moon. And then he creates, and then he waits 100,000, 100 million years, whatever it is, and he creates more, and then he creates more. But it's always after a long period of time. And at the end of that, when everything has been created, he creates humanity. That's progressive creationism. And then we have theistic evolution. Right? God created the cosmos and all life billions of years ago, and then God in the process of macroevolution to produce the diversity of life we see today. Theistic evolution. Which is crazy because if you talk to Darwinian or natural, naturalists, they would sit there and say that the evolutionary process is unguided. It's just through random mutations and selections and it, every once in a while, you hit the lottery and you get a bump and you get something good that comes out of a mutation. It's an unguided process. Theistic evolution says, no, it's a guided process. It's still evolution, but God's directing that, that process to bring about what he wants, which is ultimately what we have today. That's what theistic evolutionists would say. So all three positions agree the universe and all life within it were created by God. That's the good thing. God did it. However he did it, God did it. Hey, if you, if you just want something interesting, somebody had sent this to me. Um, I didn't have time to bring it in here. Um, but just go to YouTube and just search Andy Stanley and evolution. Just a couple minutes long. Andy Standy and evolution. And come talk to me next week. I think you'll like it. Maybe not, maybe not. Anyway, it'll be, it'll be enlightening. I'll just leave it at that. So progressive creationism and theistic evolution, they struggle to align themselves with Scripture. They struggle to align themselves with Scripture. Right? If we can't get Genesis 1... Chapters 1 through 12, right? It affects everything else, scripturally speaking. It affects everything else if we don't get that right. Right? And so under theistic evolution, Adam and Eve weren't even real people. They're not even real people under theistic evolution. Progressive creation, you could say, yeah, they just kind of came in several, several billion years later. And so you don't get a literal interpretation of scripture with theistic evolution and with progressive creationism, okay? And that's a, that's a flaw that's in there. Um, you also have to ask these questions. Was there death before the fall? Was there a fall? When did the fall take place? Right? Because scripturally speaking, death did not happen until after the fall. Theistic evolution says, no, things were dying long before that. Again, that's how you get the fossil record from their perspective. 
If God took billions of years to create the universe, will it take him billions more to create the new heaven and earth? Do I really have to wait that long, God? Billions? A new heaven and an earth? Theistic evolution supports Darwinian evolution. And as we've seen in this theory, it's in great doubt even among secular biologists. So what happens to theistic evolution when we bring the evidence to bear on it? There's not even evidence that can say, yeah, God did this within the fossil record. The fossil record doesn't reveal that. So the same problems you have with Darwinian evolution, you have with theistic evolution. The evidence does not support that. And on top of that, Scripture does not support that. Theistic evolution calls in doubt the historical accuracy of Adam and Eve. I briefly talked about that. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, means just that. In the beginning, not a million years later, even a billion years later. In the beginning. God becomes a God of the gap. And that's just a term to say, you know, if I can't explain how a bumblebee can fly, I just say, well, God made that happen. God made that happen. If I can't explain it, God did it. And that's what the God of the gap is. If it's something I can't explain, it was God. And then, right, and that's what they used to think about, man, when you had tornadoes and stuff that existed a long time ago. Oh, that's God and his anger and his wrath being poured out on the earth. Well, we know scientifically now through meteorology and stuff how tornadoes form. Well, okay, maybe God didn't really create that. Created it, but he didn't. He's not the one doing it, right? That's laws of nature that are in effect. Questions? All right. So you've got these links, and this is just more information than I could even possibly put into this and without just boring you to oblivion. So you can go to these links. You can look at these. Again, it's just a ton of information all dealing with these things of progressive theological uh, evolution and progressive creation and even young earth, older type of stuff. We good? Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be an oxymoron to sit there and say a designed accident. I mean, it's, it, those things just don't work together. And this is just my opinion on this. Is man, I think what happens is, is we give a lot of credence to the scientific community, and they tell us that the Earth is 4.6 billion years old or the universe is 4.6 billion years old. And so we're just trying to take this knowledge that we're gaining from the scientific community, and we're just trying to jam the Bible into it. Right? And before I became a Christian, that was my mindset. Man, I remember asking my wife, well, what about this? Science says this. How does the Bible handle that? See, I'm just trying to take the Bible, and I'm trying to cram that into my scientific thought that I had instead of right, taking science, and we lay it alongside Scripture. And we see how it matches up. Again, the Bible's not a scientific document. We've, we've got to remember that. It's not a scientific textbook. 
But where it speaks on scientific things, it always speaks correctly. It always speaks correctly. So that's what I think is we're trying to balance one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and try to make this work. That's my opinion. I don't necessarily know that, but, but there's definitely not a designed accident and that you get all of this. Matthew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, well, yeah, and we, I think we, we talked about this last week, and, you know, because you've got, like, N- Nebraska man, right, and that was, that's one of these things where, you know, they build this whole man out of these, these fossils, these bones that they found, well, they, what they found was a jawbone, right, and then out of that jawbone, they were able to construct a, this whole almost human structure. And man, that's it. That's our evidence. We've got it. And then we find out years later, as science improves and the technology, we find that it was a jawbone of a pig. Well, we're, anybody can make a mistake. We'll just push that over here. Right? And then you end up with Piltdown Man. It was found over in Europe. Man, this, you can just see because the teeth are just filed down from just gnawing on, you know, and they're just coming up with all of this stuff, and it's pretty impressive. I'm like, man, that's an imagination. Right? But it fits in with their worldview. But again, what we find out is, man, the microscope got so much better that we could put these teeth underneath of the microscope, and we found out the teeth were filed down with a file. Now, I don't know when Piltman down man lived I'm pretty sure he didn't have a file I'm pretty sure and so what we find out was all of these things that they that were put forth as this is evidence right this is our transitional life form is they end up being frauds they end up being frauds and so there's not one that has stood the test of technology or the advancement of technology not one but we don't talk about that either. Yeah, Kevin. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, because data is data. I mean, once we start putting the scientific method to, and again, whatever you want to do, the Miller-Ray experiments back in the mid-50s, and they come up, it gives you data. That's what science does. That's what experiments does. That's what the scientific method does. It gives us data. And Christians, right, followers of Christ, we're not looking at one set of data and the secularists are looking at another complete set of data. That's, if that was the case, then I could say, oh, I could see where we could come up with these two different ideas. There's just one set of data that we're all looking at. And then it goes back to the data doesn't say anything. It's just what do the scientists say out of that? How do they interpret the data? And that's where worldviews come in. We interpret 
things through our worldviews. Right? That's the lens by which we interpret everything. I see something today, and you just see this, man, you, you see this horrific killing, and you're like, well, that's because of guns. And I'm thinking, that's demonic. Right? Same data, but we come up with two different conclusions. I'm like, that's, that's just demonic. Same data, our worldviews. And if my worldview says there is no God, what am I left to interpret through? Whatever I deem to be reality. And so that's, data doesn't say anything. Scientists say a lot about the data. And again, it's, it's not that you can't come up with, even as a secularist, that you can't come up with the right response to it because we just went through all kinds of quotes where they were like, yep, that's impossible. They looked at the data and they said Darwinian evolution is impossible. But to believe in supernatural creation, that'll mess with my sexual mores. That's a worldview speaking. That's not a scientist speaking. Our part, we need to be sensitive to that to recognize, man, that's a philosophical statement. That's not a scientific statement. Again, for Stephen Hawking to sit there and say, yeah, the law of gravity, that's what brought the universe into existence. That's a philosophical statement. That's not a scientific one. Because in order for it to be a scientific statement, man, we need to be able to run that through the scientific process, the scientific method. And we can't do it. We can't do it. So we interpret data through our worldview lens. We all do it. We Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, New Age. Yeah. 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 So where do we get the idea of Neanderthal from? Bone records. And so like we like we did with Nebraska man, like we did with Piltdown man, just like those. Except for Neanderthal's not a fraud, right? Who and who's made that determination? And scientists interpret data through what? But not their worldview. So do they have a worldview? Okay, so but we can escape our worldview and come up with the proper information. How does that happen? You know what? We're going to see something just like that come up in one of the quotes. Hang on to that. A scientist will say this. So thanks for asking the question. I do appreciate that. Yeah. 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 But who, do you remember who wrote that? Bones of contention. Okay. We're going to come back to that. Law of biogenesis, okay? 
It says life comes only from life or pre-existing life. That's a scientific law. Again, interestingly enough, we don't get the law of evolution. Right? They don't call evolution a law. They call it a fact, but they don't call it a law. A law has been something that's been tested over and over and over, time after time after time, and it gives us the same results. That's a law. But we can't call evolution a law because it's not been tested and it's certainly not been proven to be true. Okay? So the evidence bears witness against that. So the law of biogenesis. Louis Pasteur, he proved spontaneous generation was false and biogenesis is true in the 1860s. Right? There are no instances in the laboratory in nature of life starting from non-life. Scientists have never observed this or created it. Most chemists, and this is this guy, uh, George Whitesides, he said, most chemists believe, as I do, that life emerged spontaneously from mixtures of molecules in the prebiotic earth. How? I have no idea. Now we're back to your quote. When you said, I have no idea how it happened. That's not a scientific claim. And again, what we end up with is, is there's no transitional life forms, right? Because I call something a transitional life form, doesn't make it a transitional life form. And we've already seen scientist after scientist that would sit there and say, that's impossible. I choose not to believe that. That's the worldview speaking. That's not science speaking. Okay? And so whether we're talking Piltdown, Nebraska man, or Neanderthal man, we can't even get to life yet, much less you're going to get the evolutionary process which takes us back to the Cambrian record where there are no transitional life forms. If the scientists that say Neanderthal is real, they're not doing that from science. They're doing that through a worldview. That's their worldview speaking. That's not the evidence speaking. That's them interpreting, which goes back to Kevin's question. Science doesn't say anything. Scientists say it. So we end up with the worldview speaks louder than something else. The data is what the data is. The worldview determines what to say. Okay, life and information. Information-rich systems always come from intelligence, never by randomness, chance, or chaos. Life is built upon a language-based code in our DNA. Right? DNA is a language-based process that exists within our system. Right? Anthony Flew, right? this guy was an atheist at one time. He didn't become a Christian, but he did become a theist. And he says the most impressive arguments for God's existence are those that are supported by recent scientific discoveries. The findings of more than 50 years of DNA research have provided materials for a new and enormously powerful argument to design. And so now we've moved from life to information. Now we're moving from life to design. And again, you end up with these, you just don't get life and you don't get design from accidents. We don't see that anywhere in the scientific community. Nowhere do you see that. There's been no evidence, there's been no experiments that have brought that forth. Flu is sitting there saying, man, this idea that we find in DNA, there's there's design in that. 
there's design in that. And so you end up with this idea of irreducible complexity. It says irreducible complexity requires many parts working in harmony in order to function, and they cannot evolve together in a step-by-step Darwinian fashion, right? And so I love this because Kevin always reminds me of this, right? This is a mousetrap. You should have seen my wife this morning. I said, hey, baby, where's the mousetrap at? And she just stopped. Did you see a mouse? (laughs) No, I just need it for an example. You saw a mouse, didn't you? No, no, really, I'm just using it for tonight. I'm just, there's no mouse, I don't think, right? <laughs> Irreducible complexity says that this has been reduced to its simplest form and it still operates. In other words, you need every part of this mousetrap to work. If one part is missing, the mousetrap will not work according to its function and design. You have to have the little spring, the thing that crushes its neck, the thing that releases it. What's that? (laughs) That's what happens. Anyway, irreducible complexity. Okay? Examples, the eye. The eye. Now, according to Darwinian evolution, right, everything evolved until it got to the point where it works. Man, you need every part of the eye to be there at the same time, the same moment for the eye to work. If not, you've got all of these beings running around blind in a very dangerous world. How long are you going to survive? Not long. Right? Blood clotting becomes important too. Because you're blind, you walk around, you bump into something and you cut yourself, and now the blood clotting process hasn't evolved enough, and so you bleed out. Man, life is rough. You're not going to get this evolution. Whatever life has come along, it would die off before it ever had a chance to evolve. Blood clotting, the eye, those are examples of irreducible complexity. You have to have all of those things in place for your blood to clot and for the eye to work. You don't have time for the evolutionary process to develop an eye. Okay. This flagellum motor, we're going to take a look at this in just a second. This is an amazing thing. This is also an object of irreducible complexity. Okay. I don't understand half of what this guy is getting ready to say. No. 99%. I don't understand what this guy is getting ready to say. But this is an amazing machine. Man, that's going on in your body. That's irreducible complexity. One piece of that flagellum motor is not in place. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And here's the thing is the more... See, Darwin didn't have, this is book, it's called Darwin's Black Box. You know, because Darwin just didn't have all this information. You know, it's easy to sit there and see where he could just kind of end up with this. And he knew the shortfalls of his own theory. But man, with each advancement in technology that we find, it doesn't support Darwinian evolution. It supports intelligent design. It supports intelligent design. Because when there's design... We know there's a designer. 
right? When there's creation, we know there's a creator. When there's a painting, we know there's a painter. When there's a book, we know there's an author. Nobody looks at a book and says, wow, man, a tree just fell in the forest and it decayed and it became a piece of paper and then the ink from the leaves didn't, and you get this, you get war and peace. Nobody thinks that. Or we find a watch, we just don't think well, all these pieces just came together by themselves. No, there's a watchmaker. And so when we look at what science actually proves, we see that it aligns with Scripture. That's what we see. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. We understand that the universe was created with design and purpose. It's all around us. We see that. It doesn't happen by chance, by random mutations, by accident, by chaotic processes. Because that never gives you order. It never gives you design. It never gives you intelligence. It never gives you life. Species only create species of a kind, right? Genesis, they, they created after their kind. That's micro, right? Evolution. Not macro, right? But what happens is, is we talk about microevolution and we get all of these, these minor successive changes within a species. Well, if you get enough of them, you eventually get a brand new species. But that takes information that doesn't previously exist within that one species, so microevolution, yes. Macroevolution, there's no evidence for it. And design only comes from a designer, Genesis 126. So now we got this. This is a science settle. What would you say? Man, I love these what would you say things. They just kind of get to the heart of it in five or six minutes. Again, it's put out by the Colson Center. Um, man, there's I don't know how many different they, they cover all kinds of stuff, so they're just incredible. So if you just want five-minute things, just kind of help you through it, go to this website, uh, whatwouldyousay.org. Uh, it's amazing. Worldviews. Science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. Okay? We interpret things through our worldview. Right? Everybody has a worldview. Everybody interprets through that worldview. Christians the same as Muslims. Right. The question is, is which worldview best matches up with reality? Best matches up with reality. Right. If we believe in these gods that this look just like humans, act just like humans, that's not a god. Right. Pantheism, polytheism. But that's not to say that there's not truth found in every worldview. Because there is. There's truth found in every worldview. But what you do with that truth, how you process that truth, that's what matters. Because while I can have truth in my worldview, is that going to lead me to the ultimate truth? And that's really what it is. Is it going to lead me to the ultimate truth of Scripture and who God is and what He's done for us? Hey, it's, it's easy to sit there and say, that's crazy. I don't see how they can think like that. You know, we need to remember they're lost. And that's how lost people think. That's how lost people think. And we shouldn't expect them to think God's thoughts after him. They don't have that capability. 
they don't have the capability to think God's thoughts after them. Only when we repent of our sins and we place our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by His finished work on the cross can we begin to have that opportunity to think God's thoughts after Him. And so we always, that always needs to be at the forefront of our minds as we're having discussions, as we're learning these things. It's like that's what lost people do. Right? We want to be like the tribe of Issachar. And it says, they understood the times in which they lived and they knew what to do. And they knew what to do. It's not enough to understand the times. We need to know the right things to do. And this whole thing of studying apologetics and studying worldview and doing deep dives into Scripture, that helps us do that. I've mentioned this before. Man, if, you're, and man, if you're, this just makes your blood race and you're like, I love this stuff. Man, I would encourage you to look at the Colson Fellow Program through the Colson Center of Biblical Worldview. It's a 10-month deep dive. Uh, thank God we're getting ready to finish that, right? Man, it's worth it. If that's your deep passion, I encourage you to look at the Colson Fellows Program. Um, and if you're not actively cultivating a biblical worldview, then you're passively absorbing a false one. Man, it takes work to develop a biblical worldview. It just doesn't happen by osmosis or just, you know, this doesn't fall on you. It takes work. It takes studying the scriptures. It takes studying the reality around you. Man, it takes work. But the cost for not, it's too high to pay. It's too high to pay. All right? Questions? Diane? Would you say the information that comes through Bob Joel 51 started allowing that information to come through to move along these Bible prophecy endings? You know what? I would probably have to look into that. I, I would not be in a place to answer that intelligently. So I'm going to have to say, I'm going to punt that one if that's okay. And also, I would say that Calvin Collider is an evil figure trying to make himself a Well, that's most that's most of what the that's most of what the culture is doing is trying to be God, right? The self. We make poor gods. I, I, right? We struggle with Christianity, much less just trying to be a god. And so we have those struggles. But that's what lost people do. They think we can figure out reality and we can make our own reality. But again, that's, that's what lost people do. All right, let me close this in prayer. Blessed Father, Lord, we do just thank you for the truth of who you are, for the truth of the world that you've set us in. Uh, Lord, we can think whatever we want to think. We can do whatever we want to do, but there's consequences. Ideas have consequences and um, we'll always come up against your reality. That's the way you've designed the world. That's the purpose for us. And once we, when we deviate from that, we, we pay a deep price. And Lord, that should grieve our hearts for ourselves, for our families, for our communities. Um, that Lord, that we would desire to see everybody to come to know you, Lord Jesus. So we just pray your blessings upon each person in this room, Lord, that you would be their strong tower and their fortress as they go forth this week, Lord. Fill their mouths with your word, fill their hearts with your love. Uh, Lord, that we would go and extend your kingdom wherever we go. I pray your blessings upon them. Lord Jesus, it's in your mighty and matchless name we ask these things. Amen.